Charles Louis Mortgage Advisors, 0161 959 0166. Welcome along to the latest edition of the Forever Blue podcast. Um, I'm Ian Cheeseman and uh, of course we're going to talk about City today. Uh, before we do that, just let me uh, thank our sponsors for the podcast, charleslouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors and a lot more in terms of the uh, the the companies that deal with buying and selling houses, whether that's commercial property or whether it be private property. And if you want some advice from them, have a look at the website, charleslouis.co.uk, and you'll see that there is a phone number on there and they will give you any advice that they can to try and sort you out and very much appreciate their support as well. Uh, right, now then, uh, I'm going to introduce you to my uh, my guest today, my main guest, which is the one and only Mr. Nicky Weaver, a city legend, a city goalkeeper of the past, and somebody who is, has remained a great um, pal of mine and a great friend of all city fans, I think, somebody who uh, we will never forget for uh, the various contributions he made, not least something that was shown on the big screen today, Nick, which you probably wouldn't have been aware of, but they showed you galloping around behind the goal after the 99 playoff final, which you'll never be allowed to forget, will you? No, I mean, I, you know, I can't believe it's sort of 22 years ago and, um, you know, we, we got together a few weeks ago, me, Sean, go to uh, Paul Dickoff and Andy Morrison did a did a, um, an evening with us and, you know, question and answer session and stuff. And it's all people want to talk to me about, really. Um, I mean, I, I had 10 wonderful years at City um, and people only only want to talk about that one game, which, uh, which is fine by me because, you know, it's something I'll never get bored of talking about. Well, we might ask you about it later on, but that's not why we've got you on. You know, we want to talk about current City topics as well. And on that basis, uh, as I was going to the game today, I do a match day vlog, and I'm sure many people will be aware. And uh, today I started off that match day vlog at the, the collection point for MCFC food banks and bumped into Nick, who's also on the podcast tonight. So, Nick, thanks very much for for coming on the podcast, um, just to introduce everybody to what you're doing. I suggest they look at the vlog, by the way, the match day vlog from the West Ham game. But you're one of the volunteers who works down at City at weekends, taking food and donations off people to try and help homeless people and those who are struggling at the moment, which I applaud you for and thank you for. Just tell us a little bit more about what you do. Oh, cheers, Ian. No, it was uh, great to see you today. And um yeah, it was. Uh, we managed to make it through. It was a little bit cold, but um, like I said, I had trackies under my jeans. It was it was fine. We made it through. But no, uh, me, me and a few friends. We um, from New Year's Day 2020 last year. We've only been going for two years now. Um, started collecting outside of uh, weekend home games at City um, for Manchester Central Food Bank, who are the biggest food bank provider in the region and um, they go as far north as uh, Moston, Harper Hay, right down to Rushholm, across and Gorton and they cover a massive area for people who are struggling right now across Manchester and especially in the wake of Covid. Um, it's been it's been an awful situation for so many people finding themselves in really hard times that they would never have expected and we're only, all of us are only ever a few unfortunate circumstances away from something similar so we started collecting like I say outside weekend home games, uh, food, soiletries, anything um, just to try and 
<clears throat> I like to think, you know, we're, we're a great community minded fan base. And uh, I, I think it's absolutely brilliant that um, it's a national movement. This It started with Everton and Liverpool fans about six years ago. Um, we welcomed uh, friends from West Ham United up today uh, who made a donation. Um, we're going to see Newcastle when we play them next month. Um, and that's what it's about. It's uh, hunger doesn't wear club colours is the motto. You know, we don't care if you're a City fan, United fan, whatever, if you're struggling, we'll try and support you. And uh, it's, it's exactly what being a football fan is all about to me. You know, it crosses that, it crosses those, you know, tribal lines sometimes that we all enjoy to an extent. But uh, th this part of it is big. You know, we always talk about the football family and I think that's the best example of it. So, uh, yeah, no, look forward to this and cheers for, it was great to see you today in and, uh, yeah, just want uh, more City fans to find out about what we're doing and we're happy to just have a chat. doesn't matter about donations, big, small, whatever, just come and have a chat. That's what it's about, about reminding us of community. Well, I know Nicky is a player from a particular era when, you know, you relate to the fans, it seems, more than the most. I mean, you know the great work that City do and it's nice to have something like this in City's name as well, isn't it? Absolutely. It's obviously, you know, a good cause and it helps people. Uh, you know, are struggling because, you know, we're, we're all, you know, most people are okay in life, but there's some people who struggle. So it just gives people a little leg up. Um, and like I say, you know, um, it doesn't matter who you support, everyone comes together and, uh, and supports a good cause. So, yeah, it's fantastic. This isn't a criticism of modern day footballers. They are what they are, but they are multi-millionaires, almost all the City players now in this era, even the young players who come through. Uh, I'm assuming that you're not a multi-millionaire, Nicky, and uh, you know, you, you're a little bit more grounded because of the, the life that you've had. I mean, I hope and I'm sure that you were well rewarded, but nothing like the, the players are today, I'm guessing. Yeah, you couldn't sort of, you know, I did okay, but you couldn't sort of buy you know, a million pound house every two weeks sort of thing. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the um, the sort of era that I played. I've been retired seven years now it, and football seems to have moved on a lot since then, particularly, obviously, at City because they've gone on to do amazing things. But it's, you know, I was at the game last week um, and I was lucky enough to be in the Tunnel Club, the Everton game last week. Um, and it's, the players are sort of so detached from the fans now, I think it was, you know, I think we're a lot more relatable when I played, where now they're just these super mega, like you said, millionaires who, who you can't really get near anywhere. Um, you know, when I played for City, we'd go around and do all the supporters club branches, uh, you know, make lots of appearances, that sort of thing. These days, you tend not to really see the players doing that sort of thing. I know they have their own sort of personal contracts and sponsors and all that sort of stuff. But sort of, it's hard for the man on the street to relate to, you know, someone who's earning... You know, two and three hundred thousand pounds a week. It's just, uh, you know, it's just incredible, really. Yeah, I've seen this week. It, it seems to have become quite well known on social media that Rodri um, is a man who seeks no publicity, but yet, from what what the saying, donates a quarter of his wages to charities and and to try to help other people, and does a lot of quiet things behind the scenes. I'm guessing even in your day, Nicky, there were some players who would want to do things like that quietly and not necessarily seek publicity. Yeah, I think it's nice when people do that and they don't want to seek publicity. I'm sure some people do it just for publicity and, you know, it makes them look good. But I think if you do, you know, do things like that, it makes you feel good inside as well. Um, so if you ever, you know, even if it's like, you know, donating to children in need or the food bank we've spoken about, any sort of time you do a good deed like that, um, it makes you feel good. We've had some really bad snow in Sheffield today and I, I was out and about and a guy was stuck um, 
on a hill in a van. He couldn't get up because he was spinning. So me and my daughter got out and helped him up the hill. And so, so we got back in the car and, you know, we had a bit of a sweat on. But we sort of, because we'd done a good deed, it made us feel good. That's good to hear. And does it surprise me that you would do that? Um, let, let's talk Let's talk about the football a little bit then and bring in Harlan, who's another one of uh, my regulars. Uh, and obviously you and I and, uh, and Nick were down at the, the game today. Uh, I saw the weather forecast before I left for, for the game. I got quite early and I could see it was due to snow. Uh, it was on when I was stood with the food bank uh, guys. It was, I was actually thinking, you know, it might be quite nice if it snows a bit more here. It'll look good on the video. Not wishing it quite to be the downpour it was really when the game was on. What were you, when you were watching that game, Harlan, did you fear at any point that the match might be off? Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I saw. I've just watched the. Uh, I've just watched the vlog now, Ian. So that 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 one extra view that you've that you've had in the last couple of minutes. That was me, by the way. Um, Thank you. <laughs> but no, in, in all honesty, um, I, I think I miss I misinterpreted what one of the guys had said about a machine and said you know maybe there could have been a machine on on the pitch at half time and it wouldn't have had to have been such a drastic, uh, you know, 20, 20 members of staff and shovels and 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 what you'd see at say Boundary Park or. Or, or even Hillsborough, uh, you know, which, which I'm sure Nick will appreciate as well. But I mean, it's one of them where you 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 often think that because of the underfloor heating in a, in a ground, I understand you can't have you can't have that on um, at a ridiculous temperature while a game is is ongoing, of course. But I, I've never seen that looked more snowy today than I've seen some League One pitches during matches. So that that for me tells you that this is probably going to be. Probably one of the the harshest, coldest winters that we're going to have ever ever had, if not without a shadow of a doubt, probably the coldest I've ever felt in in the Etihad in in the last you know at least twenty years. So it, it's one of them, in it, where you you know you look um, and you just think, you know, this this shouldn't really have a chance of being called, but you know it's a Premier League game. There's a there's a, there's a lot riding on it with it being. You know, a game in which we could go top if 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 Chelsea lose to United, and it might have had to have had the the, the plug pulled on it. But I think the staff did a world class job at half time, and I think had they not have done that, and it had been snow on top of snow, it might have got to sixty, and then it might have been you know ball stopping, flowing, and everything else, and you might have had a completely different outcome. So, yeah, it was uh, top class work from the um, from the ground staff, and. I think it allowed for a better second half than it would have been had the snow not have been cleared. I think we almost, performance-wise, became a lot more fluid when the snow was removed. Although I thought we were brilliant when the when the snow was falling in. I actually genuinely thought that that the players were very professional and 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 and, and continued to try and play our brand of football in the best way possible with the conditions. And just to expand on something, and I, I wasn't really going to mention this, but. When you look at the starting eleven today and you actually break it down into nationalities, and I'm going to say this for a specific reason, you've got Edison, he's Brazilian. And then obviously you've got Carl Walker, he's English, uh, of course. But you've got, I think there's there's eight players out of the starting eleven today that are either Portuguese or Spanish. So they come from a very, very, very hot climate, born in a very hot climate, have played in countries where the winters probably aren't as harsh as this and could have easily thrown the towel in today and thought, you know what? We're not really used to this kind of weather. We weren't born into this kind of weather. You know, we could easily down to tools today, win one nil and counter through this game and not really play our normal way. And I think considering that you were just talking about wages with Nick then, and a lot of the time people will go, Yeah, but the lads have to put a performance in because they're 150 grand a week. Or well, 
you know, it doesn't matter how much money you're on, it was cold. And if you're cold, you're cold. And he still carried on professionally and got the job done. So you look at that and you go, I can only admire everyone today. You know what I mean? In terms of the way the ground staff went to half time and the performance itself. Well, certainly hats off to the ground staff. Uh, I mean, they came and cleared the whole pitch. It looked at one point that they were just going to do the lines, maybe to clean the two penalty areas. Lee Jackson needs a, a shout out here because he's the head groundsman at the Etihad. Uh, and I, I don't know, do you go back far enough for, for Stan Gibson, Nicky? Or, you know, no, have you had but... a relationship with, uh, with, with groundsmen in the past? Yeah, no, Lee, obviously. He's, he was there when I was there at Main Road and obviously at the Etihad as well. Uh, but yeah, I've heard of Stan Gibson. Um, but yeah, it was before my time. Lee's been there now longer than Stan. And, and if he was here now, and he, obviously he wouldn't be allowed to come on the podcast because he works for the club. But he has said to me privately, I hope I'm not revealing it in here, but I think he, he begrudges the fact that Stan always gets a shout, Stan Gibson from those old days, when Lee Jackson's probably done it longer, longer and, yeah. and frankly better than, than Stan did. Because, you know, he, he, he goes, and you know what? He's at every away game, Lee, as well. He's a proper home and away. He's, he's wow. a proper blue. Did you, did you actually talk to him about anything like that when you knew him, Nick? Not really. I'm always, you know, pictures, uh, I'm always interested in the pictures. Um, you know, it, it's sort of, I mean, the training facilities and everything now that the players train are unbelievable. But, you know, the pictures they play on are absolutely staggering. Um, there's not a blade of grass out of place. Um, and I, I even like the bit at City, I call it the Mickey Mouse ears, where at the corner flags, you know, so they, there's a little bit, so they're not straight onto the Astro turf. And like at Old Trafford, for example, the pitch slopes off, so it's really difficult to take a corner. So City have obviously uh, mastered that problem. But yeah, the pitches these days, they're just phenomenal. Um, and they really are, you know, like um, like a bowling green. I'm trying to think back when I was watching you, because I would have seen every minute you played for City. Um, were there any moments when it was snowy and terrible like that and caused you problems? Um... I have played in some... I mean, I played for Dundee United and Aberdeen, so you don't get much colder than that. I know Earl was talking about the cold earlier, let me tell you. <laughs> Winter in Aberdeen, you know about it up there. Um, but no, for City, had a couple called off for the rain. Did play in some snowy conditions. I remember playing at West Ham, 2006-07 um, season, and it was snowing. It's really off-putting, particularly for a goalkeeper, I think, because when you've got like blizzard-like conditions and it's all coming in front of you, um, it is difficult, but I'll just tell you a little story about when I when I played for Dundee United. Um, we're playing um, Aberdeen, and it was snowing. And during half time, we've obviously gone in for the team talk and everything. I've come back out, and the away fans at, at, at Tannadice, they could it was like outside behind the stand, so it snowed. It had covered it all. So I've come out at half time, ran up to the away fans, and they've all started pelting me with snowballs. So, um, and one got me, there's a picture of me, one got me right on the side of the head. And then a, a few years later, I signed for Aberdeen and about 50 people claimed to have thrown the snowball that hit me. <laughs> so, um, but it's something just a little bit novel and you always remember days in the snow. Um, and I think it, it brings the kid out in everybody. Um, but it's certainly very off-putting, uh, particularly for goalkeepers when the, uh, you know, when obviously I've seen some of the clips from today's game and it was like a blizzard and obviously... You know, ultimately, Burnley, um, Burnley's game was postponed as well. And I remember when I was at Dundee United, we played Hamilton. Um, and at half past two, everything was fine. It started snowing at 25 to three, and they called the game off at quarter to three. 
it would just come down a deluge of it. And I just remember a guy with a shovel going up the line, and as he's going up the line, it's just filling up behind him. Um, so yeah, so uh, and I think we had a massive snowball fight and, <laughs> and went home. So so yes, yeah, so I've had some good days in the, in the snow, but uh, but yeah, very tricky for goalkeepers, I think. The good thing about a snowball hitting you on the side of the head, Nick, is that as a goalkeeper, um, you know, the myth is that goalkeepers go in goal because they haven't got much set, not much between the ears anyway. So a snowball wouldn't have done you much damage, would it? No, I think the whole damage has been done for me. I think the, uh, yeah, there's, uh, yeah, you've got to be mad to be a goalkeeper. And uh, yeah, they don't seem to be as mad as they used to be. But yeah, you've certainly got to have a screw loose, I think. How did you end up in goal then? Was it because you were rubbish out, outfield? I mean, that's no. it's a nice. <laughs> I was uh, I was okay outfield, but you know probably wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been a professional footballer. But we had a goalkeeper probably under 11s, and he was really small, and he kept getting chipped. Um, and then I was the sort of tallest in the team, so I went in goal one day, and and that was it really. Um, so yeah, so it's been I'd actually bumped into that kid uh, the other week. I've not seen for 30 years, but I bumped into him, and I didn't recognise him when he came and introduced himself to me, and I'm you know. Um, so, yeah, so it all started for me when I was about 11 or 12. But I never, it's amazing though, because, you know, I never had any coaching or anything. Never, um, you know, I sort of played for the Mansfield's first team, uh, got a move to Man City, and no one had ever wow. told me what to do, where to stand, how to catch it. Um, you know, what so happened it, like that nowadays? That's... No, so, it, <laughs> you know, I worked it all out for myself, um, where now, you know, the kids in academies, they're getting goalkeeper trained at seven, eight, and nine. The irony is you're a goalkeeper coach now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, so I am. So uh, I suppose it's just a natural progression for a goalkeeper to to sort of go into goalkeeping coaching, really. Um, I'm lucky enough, I do it at my hometown club, Sheffield Wednesday, which is, you know, the club I grew up supporting. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's nice to pass on uh, on the little bit of knowledge, you know, I sort of gathered up on my 20-year playing career. None of the young lads now can remember me playing, though. I'm a bit... Uh, you know, I don't think they can remember David Beckham. You know, the, the uh, everything seems to be. You know, they only know the players who are playing now. And and you know, when some of the lads, um, you know, I deal with the seventeen, eighteen year olds, and they're born in, you know, two thousand four, two thousand and five. You know, it makes you feel uh, makes you feel old. What do you say then, as a goalkeeper coach, about Edison? Because it's funny because Ralph Rangnick's been quoted this week. He's potentially going to take over at United, and the quote I heard was, "Keep it away from the goalkeeper. That's the danger zone. Don't play it back to the goalkeeper." Where, of course, Pep brought in Claudio Bravo straight away to be a footballing goalkeeper, and now Edison is that ultimate footballing goalkeeper. So, what do you say to your keepers? Well, I'm a we like to play out from the back, um, but I'm a bit more no risk sort of thing. You know, he's knocking it, you know, Edison's passing it out to world-class players uh, at different levels of football. It's not always like that. But I think Edison, I mean, I think he's taking goalkeeping to another level. He, you know, I, I call it goalkeeping on the edge. He, he plays really high, sweeps up, um, and his distribution is just, he never gives the ball away. I'm sure he could play as a city midfielder. Um you know, he just never gives it away. And when I was at the game last week, um, I always go early just to watch him in the warm-up as well. Um, and he's, he's just he's just incredible. He does he does one exercise in the warm-up where he gets the ball on the edge of his box or in his box, just does a little like sidewinder kick, which is the modern way they all goalkeepers kick it. And the goalkeeper coach just walks across the halfway line and he never has to break stride. And he, he'll, he'll kick it to his hands, he'll take another three or four steps, kick it to his hands, all the way across. It's unbelievable. And... 
what I do like about him is he looks long as well. So he's not just really good with his short game. You know, his first look is quite often, can we get it in behind? And I think he, he played one a few weeks ago to Phil Foden, which was, you know, about 70-yard pass. It was, you know, on a sixpence. So, um, so yeah, he's incredible. But he's not just good with his feet, he's good with his hands as well. So, you know, he really has got the lot. That's something you're going to have to change the language of, Nicky. Um, you talk about young people not remembering older players. They won't remember sixpences, will they? No, no. I, can, I, can, <laughs> I can't remember sixpences, but yeah. Um, but yeah, but like he, said, he, put the, he puts the ball on a 5p piece, is what you need a, to say. Yeah, on a 5p piece. I'm sure that's smaller than a sixpence as well, so even more accurate. I know Harlan wanted to come in there, so go on, Harlan. Over to I you. I was just going to ask Nick, uh, well, Nick, Nicky, a question about um, players nowadays. You said about the, the distance between fan and player, Nicky, at the moment. And, you know, a lot of fans will say, you know, say, for example, the game was called off today, and a lot of our fans would say, oh, the players don't really bother about that. We've travelled in, you know, we've, we're have we the ones that are inconvenienced there. Um, you know, we've all had to come from, I've come from Bolton, another lad's come from Blackpool and so on and so forth. And people have even travelled from, you see it on the vlog, won't you, Ian? People have travelled from London, they might have come from America for a one-off game, for this specific game. And they go, oh, the players won't care. You know, it's just, they're on a fortune, this, that and the other. Firstly, did you ever have a game that was called off where it really bothered you because you prepped all week? And surely it must bother these players today because you've trained all week, you've worked all week, yeah. you've done your tactical analysis of the game coming up, and then it gets called. What what, what happens then? Yeah, it, it, it's 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 a slap in the face, really, because like I said, prepped all week, training's been around it, been around the game. Um, you've watched all the videos, you've done all the analytical stuff, and you just want to play the game. And also the problem is, it's where do you squeeze it in? That, that's you know that's that's the one. Like for Tottenham, for example, today up at um, at Burnley, they've got a you know, they'll have flown up yesterday. They'll be in a hotel for overnight. They'll have got there today. Mm-hmm. They'll have to, you know, they'll probably not even be home yet or they'll just be getting home now. And then they'll have to come up, you know, on a Tuesday in the middle of winter sometime. So it, it, it's not ideal, but it is what it is. Um, but it's very rare that you do see, you know, Premier League games, you know, get called up, get postponed for, because of the weather now. Um, but we're talking about how much money the players are on. They're on obviously a fortune. But yeah, they'll still be very disappointed that, that, that they're not playing games because ultimately... You know, it's not their fault they earn that much money and, you know, they're doing a job that they love. Um, so, yeah, so it's just, it's rubbish for everybody when a game gets, you know, postponed because of the weather, but it just is what it is, I suppose. I remember the the, la- the last time we actually got a game called off because of the weather was West Ham last year. It was February, just the, all those storms that were happening just before yeah. COVID. We forget about those spate of games that were moved. I think we played a... The German team in Europe as well, and that got to... The Mönchengladbach was knocked back a day, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. 24 hours. Crazy. I was going to ask you, Nick, I mean, I mentioned it in the vlog a little bit earlier on. Uh, when it's cold and it's coming up to winter, are people more inclined to, to give to the food bank donations because they see what the weather's like or is it pretty consistent throughout the season? Oh, no, there's definitely, um, like I think you said yourself, uh, there's a, a sort of sharpening of the awareness of, like I say, you know, Manchester's suffered particularly badly over the past 10 years uh, or so with the homeless epidemic that we've seen. And it makes people think a lot more, of course. And uh, also people are in that sort of festive mood, aren't they? You know, when it's a charitable time of year and giving and stuff like that. So I remember our New Year's Day collection, we actually had to... Uh, we weren't able to give the food bank quite a bit of it because we got given about a hundred brandy filled mince pies, and you can't give a alcoholic uh, alcoholic ingredients to a food bank for many reasons. But no, yeah, uh, like I say, it, it, I think uh, we, we're already looking up to a ton of food 
um, collected for the for the five six games already this season, and it's fantastic. It's only going to get better um, as more City fans see. So it was great. I was really glad that it wasn't called off because there's nothing like you say, nothing worse than coming in. It's a Sunday as well. A Sunday game is a chore. We had it last week, and that wasn't great against Everton, but. Um, we came out with the points and that was all that mattered. It was a it was a good performance again. I don't remember the last time I saw a, a city home game with that much snow. It was it was a bit of a fairy tale for a while. I enjoyed it a lot. There was a lot of ice on the pitch in the home game against PSG behind closed doors last season. I don't know if, if you remember that, but there was that was more of a snowball, not snowball, um, hailstorms coming down and, uh, mm. and scattering all over the pitch. You get to see the game, don't you? Despite the fact that you're out there for a couple of hours, two or three hours before the game, but you get him. What what did you make of it today? I thought, you know, I, I've been a little bit um, maybe cr- critical of our, some of our home performances, where um, which which is crazy given what we've just seen in the past couple of weeks against United and PSG, especially. But you know, obviously the Palace game, but even the um, was it the Southampton game, I think we could have lost. So I think there was some elements of that. Uh, it seemed like running out of ideas in some senses where the forward line is so high up and people aren't dropping deep and, and we're looking a bit bereft of passing options or, or even just being creative. Of course, when Cancelo the other week, those amazing outside of the boot passes and things like that. that those are the kind of breakthrough moments that we need. But um, getting up, like I say, so well, I missed the last goal, actually. I missed, I missed the, their goal. I, I don't even know how that happened. I heard it was a Fernandinho error, so gladly he... Uh, obviously recompense that a little bit earlier on but um i think we're hitting we've got certain key players coming back in to form sterling looking better jesus is having a good season i think when he gets the chance bernardo don't even need to mention how good he's been and gundogan a player who i think arguably should be first on the team sheet hasn't been consistent ever since we signed him i think arguably but he's looking good especially since last week and um I think we've only got. I I was one of those. I was one of those typical pessimistic City fans who, after the Palace game, was like, "Yeah, that's it. We're throwing in the towel already." Um, Chelsea are going to win it, but now, look at look at United today. Um, we're only a point behind Chelsea, and uh, yeah, I'm 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 really looking forward to how this season plays out. I feel good about it. I just watched Roy Keane and uh, Jamie Carragher both tip City to win the league this year, so that's uh, quite quite nice wow. to hear. What did you make of the performance, Harlan? Uh, I thought it was, again, uh, go back to what I said, I felt like the players could have thrown the towel in because of the, the weather. Um, players might have played poor passes and then blamed the weather for that. Um, you know, you asked Trev on the on the vlog today, what's it like? Joe Nick can answer the question as well, especially being a goalkeeper. And all right, we didn't maybe have as much possession under Stuart and Kevin and, and even Sven. But, you know, there's a lot of the time when, when the out, outfield players have got the ball where, where Nicky would have been stood there even in cold weather, never mind snowy weather, um, and your feet are going to get cold blocks of ice. And all today as a fan, I was. So uh, can't imagine what Edison's were like. I think I got more touches at ball than he did in the first half. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you look at that and you think, you know, it, it, it would have been easy for the boys to, 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 to foot off the gas and, and, and not really play at a level we know we can because of the, the conditions. And I felt like we we weren't vintage. Don't get me wrong, I agree with Nick. There's been times this year where we've we've maybe felt like because we're at home that we'll win anyway, so we don't really need to be at the level that we would normally have to be at, say, if it was 
you know, the last 10 games of a season. I think the period of a season as well always affects the way that you play at home as well. When you know you need points, you always put the extra level in. Look at the 2-1 over Liverpool, 18-19. Uh, uh, Southampton when Sterling scored, 2-1. I think players have got an ability to turn on and off a switch whenever they deem it to be a vital game. Um, but I, I just feel like today, again, it was a professional performance. I think we made West Ham look like a bottom-half side and we definitely know they're not. And I think when you can when you can make a side like West Ham who are on fire under Moyes look like West Brom and not West Ham, then you know no offense to West Brom, but you know I think you know you're doing a good job. And if I'm honest with you, I was a bit annoyed for Edison um, because it was an error I think from Fernandinho Nick, and it's a cracking strike from Lanzini, and that boy can play as well. So it's one of them where. You know, 2 0 would have been better because one, it's a clean sheet, two, it's you know, it's a, it's better for the goal difference. Um, and it is a bit more, I think it tells the story a bit more, but um, you know, two one makes it look a bit closer. But overall, I thought it was brilliant. And to just um, wax lyrical about Bernardo Silva, um, I think Ferdinand said that then the other year about you know, get the contract out this, that, and the other, and uh, you know, United are back and all that. Well, I'll tell you what, City are back with Bernardo Silva because. We aren't going to be going anywhere with him as our pioneer in that attacking midfield role. Um, we're going to be up there and we'll perform consistently because he is a metronomic player. If he's on fire, a bit like David, if he's on fire and he's got iron lungs and he's had a couple of starbursts before he kicks off, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be on it. And is that what was in the little coffee cup when he when he didn't do the uh, the guard of honour for Liverpool? Well, that's it. I mean, he must have a couple of them before every game because he's. He, I mean, Liverpool two one. He covered thirteen kilometres. That's eight and a half mile. You know what I mean? That's. I mean, he ran more more miles than Eminem. Do you know what I mean? So you know you 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 look at that and you just think like you know he, he's he's such a uh, he's such a player that he he almost kind of feels responsible for the performance. And then you've got a player like Gundogan, who's also a very, very good player. And then you know that you've got Rodri now, who's, who's starting to be f- perform sound in that position and he's starting to perform more progressive. And I just think that midfield hub now is, it's impenetrable. And that's why Fernandinho can't get a game because the three in there are just doing the job. Brilliant performance again, in terms of professionalism and against West Ham as well. Brilliant. Great. Uh- I, I, I'm interested, in, like I said, I think the midfield performances are what, especially in a season where we're looking a little bit um, shaky up front. And that's not necessarily because we've not got the players, it's just we don't know what to do, I think. I think that's fair to say, you know, look, those three up front today, Mara, Sterling, Jesus, not one of them stayed in the same position for more than 20 minutes at a time, I don't think, which could be an amazing tactic, but there's definitely no stability there. Um, I, I want to ask you three guys, um, what do you, do you think De Bruyne walks straight back into this midfield? I know that might sound like a typical bit, but he's, I think they've been giving him a lot of leeway over the past 18 months. He I'm does for me, but I'll be more interested to hear what Nicky's got to say. So what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, he's got to be in the top, you know, three or four players in the world, I think. is that good. Mm. Um, but, you know, the, the games is missed. I mean, what a week City have had, you know, uh, three wins. Um, and... You know, sometimes things just have a way of working themselves out. Someone will pick a suspension up. Someone will pick a little injury up. Um, mm. So sometimes things do have a way of working themselves out. But 
listen, Pep, Pep, Pep will um, he'll get him back in the team, I'm sure. Because when the uh, listen, City, you know, they're on a great run of form at the minute. But you know, in the big, big games, you need your big, big players um, to produce, and he, and he does, you know, time after time. And he, uh, you know, I was disappointed um, last week that he wasn't playing. Um, you know, I took my son last week to the game. It was the first time he'd been to the Etihad to watch a game. Um, and he was really disappointed that him and Grealish weren't playing. So, um, you know, they've just got... I always look at City's bench and it has been um, a little bit weaker the last few weeks because they've had a few problems. Um, but when everybody's fit, the bench is just staggering. So they can change two or three players, you know, with half an hour to go and just, you know, turn the game on its head, really. Um, so, yeah, but I'm sure I'm sure Pep will squeeze him back in the team. Um, for who, I'm not sure, but, uh, you know, Pep's used to making the big decisions and I'm sure he'll make a decision there. For all the quality that City have got, I think against PSG, if I'm not mistaken, they actually had two goalkeepers on the bench. For you, as a goalkeeper, to see two goalkeepers on the bench, you can't bring two of them on, can you? Well, I think there was two <laughs> on there today as well. Um, so I think Scott Carson was on today. Um, so, yeah. The only time... Gary Megson was a former City player. He was... Uh, my manager at Sheffield Wednesday for a while. And I remember him saying that when he was Bolton manager, um, they went away to Chelsea, I think, the last game of the season. And unless there was something like an eight or nine goal swing, that Bolton would stay up. So he put two keepers on the bench. And that was just in case one went on and got sent off or whatever. And that was probably when there was only five subs on the bench. But yeah, I mean, there's not that, that many subs on the bench now. It's... Um, you know, it can change the, the the entire team, really, can't they? But yeah, so it's uh, it'd be good for Scott to pick his bonus up, I'm sure. Yeah, I was watching one of those uh, reruns on ITV4 yesterday, and um, you know, City had one. It was a game, a City against Tottenham. They lost two one. Phil Boyer scored the consolation goal, and uh, and there was one substitute for each team. You know, Terry Yorath was the substitute for Spurs. You know, just one sub, which it seemed bizarre to, to, to look at it that way. And one question I was going to ask you, though, you mentioned, Nick, about, um, you know, the getting Kevin De Bruyne back in the side. Jack Grealish isn't in the side at the moment. And one bloke, I didn't, I didn't film him, but as he was walking out the ground, said to me, what's Jack Grealish's injury? And I said, to be honest, I don't really know. I mean, they don't necessarily go into it in, in great depth. And then he followed up by saying, you think he's deliberately being injured so he doesn't have to get play against Aston Villa on Wednesday? And I thought, bit of a sceptical answer, that one. But the players don't do that sort of thing, Nicky, do they? No, you relish played against your former clubs. Um, you know, and I think the thing with Jack Grealish as well, he left on really good terms. You know, he was a great servant to Villa and they got 100 million quid for him. So, um, I think the way he left, you know, he was obviously a massive Aston Villa fan. He was captain of the club. Um, so, yeah, the way he left, I think it was all done in the right manager. But, yeah, I think uh, I think that's quite a sceptical uh, look at things. I certainly don't... Um, I used to really enjoy playing against former clubs. Um, and you always... I don't know, I've seen it before where lads cramp up and that. It's sort of a bit more nervous energy possibly before the game and you can maybe, you know, try a little bit too hard sometimes against the former club. Hmm, interesting. Go on, Nick, you were going to say something, man. I was just, um, I, I think I was actually listening to a Villa podcast just out of pure interest the other week um, and I think that it makes sense to us that he left on good terms, but I think to some of them, 
absolutely isn't the case. Um, and I think, it, you know, the lad is, what, 25, 24? It's not like, you know, he's, he's, he's young, um, he's not given many years to the club and he's just left at the first big opportunity that's come his way. He, he went down with them and he came back up with them. He's, he's really spent years. But that they seem to be a bit of a fan base that um, definitely holds a bit of a, a grudge because I, I went to Villa Park when... Um, Delph came to us uh, the first away game after, and they threw rubber snakes at the away end. <laughs> it was, it was. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think it'll be an interesting one. I think you might hear scattered views and applause midweek. Well, here's a question for you, which leads perfectly from what we're talking about here. This week, there's been talk that Ferran Torres uh, may want to leave, may go to Barcelona. Um, a player who's injured, of course, at the moment, but. Thought he had been thought of by a lot of City fans as potentially solving or at least partially solving the lack of a striker. Um, let, let's start with Harlan on this one. I mean, I know you're a bit of a fan of Ferran Torres, if I'm not mistaken. How would you feel if he was to to go? I mean, as I say, he's injured at the moment, but he he has he's a young lad with a lot of potential, isn't he? No, I'd be devastated. In that's that's the short answer. Now I'll give you the long answer, like normal. Um, now I'm only messing. Um, no. I, <laughs> For me, I mean, we 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 we're too kind. Um, we're too kind in the transfer market, the transfer windows. We, especially when letting players go, we did it with. I mean, going back to to all four, it was it was different times. The club was in 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 dire need of money. Sean left for 20, 24 million, I think it was back then, and he was a vital player to what we were doing. You know, Nick remembers more than me from the inside about how vital Sean was to what we were doing. Yeah, just on the to, just. Sorry to interrupt you, but just to pick up on that, I remember the day Sean come in and said, I'm going, and he didn't want to go. He's like, I don't really want to go, but I've got to go. You obviously, you just can't turn, and obviously City weren't the force that they are now. But I remember that day, I just remember him coming in into the physio room and saying, they've accepted a bid and, and I'm off sort of thing. And uh, you could you could genuinely sense with Sean, he, he really didn't want to go. But sometimes in life, you've got to, and, and it was one of them where, you know, Sean had to. Well, that's it, Nick. And going back to that now, like it's not like then, is it? Like we're not, we're not, we don't need the money. Um, we seem to have got. I mean, Everton are in a bad state at the moment with regards to wage bill. I think they have to let about three or four players go in January or summer <clears throat> because of the James Rodriguez transfer. Um, he came for Ancelotti and he's left, and he's gone back to Madrid. James can't get a move. Well, he's got a move, but he didn't move for what he came for. And now Everton have got to balance their FFP out again. Now, we're in a good position now. Obviously, we won in the court of arbitration. We've got ourselves in a very good shape off the field. Um, we don't need to sell for Ant to balance the books. If it was a case of we needed to sell for Ant Torres to fund a deal for Haaland, I'd maybe be more inclined to go, well, maybe that's more understandable. But for Ant Torres isn't going to be, in my opinion, I think he can be, but I don't think he's the long-term fix for Sergio Aguero's Departure. I think Ferran was brought in to be the hybrid inside forward that he is for Spain. That that, that you know the, the inside forward that banged a hat trick against Joachim Löw's Germany. Uh, the inside forward that keeps scoring for Spain every time he plays. The player that we saw bagging hat trick last year against Newcastle, which was a almost a complete hat trick. Formidable goal scoring ability. He's now got a horrible injury, and it often makes me feel like whenever players are injured, that's when media will, will look into either fake stories or real stories or ask questions about players. So if Fran was playing now, Ian, week in, week out, not sure whether this Barca link would have been spoken about. 
I think it's because he's injured and they've got no news on Ferran that this has now come out. But to lose him would be would be would be massive. It almost feels similar to the to the Leroy Sane one, especially with it being reported that that Ferran's pretty keen on the move. However, I think the difference is there that with with Bayern Munich acting the way they did, I was gutted that Leroy decided to leave, but I didn't hate on Leroy for leaving. I was just disappointed in him that he didn't maybe want to stay as much. But he's German. Munich are the biggest side in Germany. I understood it. What I didn't understand was Karl-Heinz Rummenegger's influence on it, the backhanded stuff that I felt was going on at Munich to try and get the deal over the line with regards to media um, leaks and everything and the fact that he was still our player. And Pep is the complete opposite. He always rebuffs news or whenever people ask him impressors about, are you interested in Haaland? He says he's a Dortmund player. He's this, he's that. I feel like other clubs in the world haven't got as much respect in the transfer market as we have. And the other thing as well goes, Jack Grealish joined us from Villa for £100 million because there's a release clause in his contract. We don't put release clauses in our players' contracts. If Ferran Torres now had a £100 million release clause, Barcelona would stand no hell, hell's chance of signing him with their current financial circumstances. The fact they know they could probably bend us over a barrel and get him for cheaper means that he's probably going to be more in, intrigued by that deal and probably go. So it's upsetting and it'd be a huge loss and it'd be the second one in three years that we've given for for, for, uh, for peanuts. Interesting thoughts and you bring up some great, great, great thoughts in my mind there. Just let me put this one to you because I know this is all hypothetical and, and we're not even sure that Ferran Torres will go or wants to go, but we're also seeing lots of rumours about Raheem Sterling and Haaland, of course, is the top of everybody's agenda. So just let me put this hypothetical question to, let's start with, with, with Nick and then Nicky. I've got to distinguish between the two of you. I think of Nicky as Nick as well, but we'll, we'll call it Nick and Nicky. Um, if it was a choice, if what Haaland has just said then, which is that maybe Ferran Torres would go to part or, you know, mainly finance a move for Haaland, if it was Sterling or Torres and it was a choice, which would you go for, Nick? Sterling in a heartbeat, like to keep. But sorry, keep. Had a, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, I, I feel, I think sometimes this does come down to personal opinion as much as I know football is a stats-driven thing nowadays. But um, to me, Sterling, um, despite the the recent inconsistency and lack of form, um, is just you can see that top potential and he's hit it in previous times with us um, likening it to the Sane one. Sane was, without a doubt, you could see, I've I've not seen as exciting a young winger like that coming in um, from a from another country to us and, and be so overachieving in a way, especially given how he's, how he's looked now at Munich. Um, I would, Torres, in a, in, a, in a way, seems to me that Liking what I was saying before about playing Mares, Sterling, Jesus up front, we've got Ireland there talking about inside forwards. I feel we play Grealish, Foden, Mares, Jesus, Sterling, all in their own sort of inside forward way, and they can play at any point across the front front line. I don't think Torres would be missed as much. Maybe I'm not watching as much, um, but I think Sterling, the opportunity is there because uh, talking about players leaving. And I, and I don't know if we are bent over a barrel as much as I, I did used to think that, but then I, I looked in a little bit more to, to what apparently Guardiola's transfer policy is. And apparently if players go to him and say, look, I want to leave, apparently he's quite open. It's like, okay, all right, we'll do that. And then uh, and then the club will negotiate and see what's the best way we can get out of that. And 
that happened with uh, Bernardo uh, last year. That Bernardo wanted to go. He wasn't in best of form. And then decisions changed. He stayed. And look at him now. Absolutely amazing. I would like to think that we'd see something similar with Sterling. Um, that it, players have their own personal issues all the time, you know, and that what they what they what their reasons for wanting a transfer or wanting a move could be uh, could be so wildly different to what we would expect their reasons or motives to be. So um I think fair play to Torres if he wants to go. Same with Sane. I was I was disappointed and a little bit angry, but I think that was just because I was being quite arrogant and like, what can he do at uh, Bayern that he can't do here? Um and then I th- I think in a probably a bit of a bad way of looking at I think well I think we were proved right. Um I think he should have stayed here. And I think actually with the the noises that are coming out from over that side that he regrets it, I feel. He's been quite nice about us publicly in a way that he wasn't at first. And I think he does probably regret yeah. it, um, just in a personal player development way. Actually, Nicky, that, that this is, a, again, another great insight you can give us. Um, I suspect that what Nick is saying there is spot on because I watch and listen to what Pep says. And the way he handles players is to give them huge, huge respects as human beings. Uh, when Kevin De Bruyne got COVID, the first thing he said was, it doesn't matter when he's back. When, when, when press was saying, when's he back, when's he back, which game will he be back for? He said the most important thing is that he fully recovers from this and he's fit and healthy for him and his family. <clears throat> I love that. I love the fact that he says things like that. And I know, I can tell he means it. And, and you're right, when Bernardo was unhappy, you got the feeling that he would, even though we might not have wanted to see Bernardo go, we, I could tell that he, he would have listened to him because he sees people first and foremost as a human being. When you've been a player and you've had different managers, there must be managers that complete, and you might not want to name who they are, that's not the object of why I'm asking you, but there must be some managers who only care about themselves and about winning games and not about the human beings. And there must be others that do care very much about the human beings. And I know if I was a player, I'd want to play for the latter, the one who cares about me as a person. Have you had that experience? Yeah, I mean, some managers, you know, ultimately as a player, you're a commodity. You know, some managers treat players like pieces of meat, you know. Um, I mean, I've seen managers in the past not talk to injured players, for example, because um, they're no use to them um, and things like that. So I, I totally get it. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, listen, we all love football and it, it's a great game, but there is more to life than football. And, and people's well-being, um, you know, is, is is of massive importance. Um, I think because they're so big superstars these days, people just think they're machines and robots and they don't have feelings and they don't have bad days and they don't have problems like everybody else does. Um, so, yeah, so I think definitely with Pep, there is that sort of human side of it, if you like, um, which I think is really important because I think for a player, if you know a sort of manager's got your back, if you like, you sort of... You want to run through a brick wall for him. Um, so, yeah, but I've seen all different, obviously, you know, played under lots of managers in my career. Um, you know, some managers are quite aloof. They keep the distance from you. Some want to be in and amongst the boys, uh, have a bit of, bit of banter and stuff. But they're all different. But, you know, um, ultimately, you know, it, 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 it sort of, you do want to play for a manager that, that you know has got your best interests at heart. I don't want I don't want you to to name the bad ones unless you want to, uh, but give me the the good one. Give me the one that you feel is in that category of the one you would run through a brick wall for. Well, Big Joe was brilliant for me. Joe Royal. He uh, 
he sort of put me in the team when no one had sort of heard of me sort of thing. Um, and he sort of backed me. And he just had a, I don't know, he just had a knack, Big Joe, of saying sort of the right things at the right times. And, you know, he just walked past me in the corridor on a Tuesday morning or something. And, you know, he might have just give me a little wink and said, I thought you were outstanding on Saturday, something like that. And, you know, a little thing like that goes a long way sometimes. Because um, I think managers are quick to, to get on players' backs when they're not doing, um, you know, the jobs that they're meant to be doing. But uh, it's nice to get to get praise from a manager. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I remember, like, just trying to think of other man, Alan Pardew, for example, when I was at Charlton. I remember coming at half-time and he started laying into me a little bit. And I'm thinking, God, this is a bit harsh, like, you know. But then he finished it off by saying, so he had a bit of a go at me. And then he went, you've been our best player this season. So he's sort of having a go at me. And then right at the end, pulled it all around. And I'm suddenly thinking, oh, yeah, cheers, Gaffer. Like, great, you know. So managers do have sort of, you know, knacks of, um, you know, trying to get the best out of people. And I think the best managers um, are the ones that can evolve. I mean, look at sort of player well-being now and mental... Um, issues that a lot of people have now managers have got to be quite understanding now where you know the old Fergie hairdryer treatment and people throwing cups of tea around them days are so I'm not saying they're completely gone but managers these days they don't come in at half time ranting and raving they come in at half time and they'll be putting video clips up they'll be getting tactics boards out so it is a lot more um you know the days of ranters and ravers are sort of are coming to an end I think and mm. most clubs all want a young dynamic manager who plays the sort of sort of right way. Um, I think what's so good about Pep is he's so animated um, and he's so demanding of his players, but they all you can see they all love him. So they all want to play for him, but yet he is very, very demanding. Yeah, inevitably, whoever's not in the team will be moaning. I mean, Alexander Sinchenko publicly says nothing, but if I was Alexander Sinchenko, I'd be thinking, I want to play more. It's That's just a footballing instinct, isn't it, that you want to play more games? Yeah, you just want to you want to play every game, and you you think as a player you should be playing every game. Um, and if he if Zinchenko was at ninety percent of other Premier League clubs, he would play every game. Um, mm. But that's part of being a big big club with world class players. You, you've got to have a squad. And the thing is, with the Champions League and all the cup competitions, there isn't sort of enough games to keep everybody happy. Um, it's not like you play every Saturday and that's it. You know, it's Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. So there is times when people get rested, people get suspended and injured. So, um, so it is a real squad game. But uh, but yeah, just to touch on going off piece a little bit, what you were talking about before in the strikers, I think, I don't think City dodged a bullet by not signing Harry Kane, but if they end up signing Haaland next summer, I think it'll be a great bit of business, especially if it, is it 70 million release clause or something next year? 75 minutes, something I think like I read somewhere, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's not, nothing I mean, nowadays. It's a lot of money, but for someone <laughs> at 23 or whatever he is, or 22, you know, and the potential he's got, I mean, wow, imagine, you know, sticking him, sticking him at the, uh, down the middle of the city. It could, uh, you know, no one else has got a chance, I don't think. A few people um, noticed that uh, when we played Feyenoord a few years ago, I interviewed Alfie Harland and uh, and in the background was Erling uh, knocking around. He wasn't the famous player that he, he was back then. He was just Alfie's son. And somebody took a screen grab of it and, and has put that all over Twitter. But, you know, there are pictures that everybody's seen, I've no doubt, of him wearing a City shirt as a kid. Because I think he was growing up at the time when Alfie was at City and... Uh, 
Um, I mean, your lad, we saw your lad last week. He was on the vlog that I did. He's a mini you, I have to say, Nicky. Um, but, it, I mean, was he following football when you were playing for City? No, no, no. He, um, In fact, he kept saying to me last week, "Did you, you used to play your dad? I'm saying, yeah. And he sort of couldn't really get his head around it. He's going, what, you? I'm saying, yeah, me. You know, because I'm just, I'm just his dad, you know. He, you don't really... Um, you don't really think of me as, you know, being a footballer or anything. So, you know, he's only just really started to take a, a real interest in, in um, you know, my career a little bit. And he said to me the other week, who's the best player I've ever played against, Dad? So I said, Ronaldo. And he looked at me a bit going, I went, you've played against Ronaldo? I went, yeah. And I think, like, you know, he, he couldn't really get his head around it. I think he thought I'd won a competition or something to play against him. Just, <laughs> you know, he's going, well, how did you get to play against him? I said, well, I was playing for City and he was playing for United. And he, he, you could see the cogs in his little brain. Just, he just couldn't really get his head around that, you know, because I'm, I don't know, not on FIFA or whatever it is. And, you know, it's almost you don't exist if you're not on FIFA with these hey, kids Nikki, these days. Nicky, you were on FIFA, mate. You were very good for me in the all six or seven season on my manager mode. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> very, very good for me. Top player. Listen, Ian, can I ask Nicky one, one more question, if that's all right? Um, just on, on, on derbies, Nicky, um, you know, a lot of City fans might want to know the answer to this one. So, for example, when our players now win a derby, especially with this squad being newly assembled and a lot of players maybe not, maybe having to get the City way as time goes on, with you obviously being an Englishman and, and, and being brought up within the English pyramid, etc., and then getting the chance to come to City and, and play for us for, for, for such a long period of time, and even looking back to back then when we weren't expected to beat United every time we played them, expected to beat Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, um, you know, and the like, every time, Tottenham even, every time we played them. I know you can't answer the question for the players now, but in your opinion, must it have felt better when you won a derby than when the current team won a derby now? Is it more seen as just a win over rivals now and that's just a good big three points towards a title race? Surely it's got to have felt better when we did it when we weren't expected to. Yeah, I mean, now it's sort of, we expect to win derbies. You expect to go to Chelsea and win. Every game, really, that City are involved in, PSG, you expect them to win. You expect them not only to win, but to sort of control the game as well. Uh, obviously, in my time, you know, when we went to places like United and Anfield and Chelsea, we weren't really expected to get anything. Um, the odd time we did get anything was amazing. Um, and you knew you'd really, um, you'd really earned it. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the derby games I played in, I, the, the sort of lead up to them, I didn't enjoy playing in them to be honest, because I was so fearful of making a mistake in in the big games. Um, yeah. And I used to sort of live in fear of making a mistake because a goalkeeper, you know, you can make yourself look very silly at any given moment. So mm. I used to. The only game I think I've actually ever enjoyed playing is when we won promotion at Blackburn. And we were 4-1 up with about 15 minutes to go. And you knew, basically, that the game was done. We'd won promotion and you could sort of relax, but sort of never really enjoyed a game of football until it's the feelings afterwards when you, you've had a good performance and you've won that you enjoy. But, yeah, the derby games are very, uh, you know, very tense affairs. And, uh, and yeah, really, you know, proud to have played in some, some, some big derbies over my career. But, uh, yeah, you sort of want to... Not to get them out of the way, but you just wanted to get come through the game unscathed. Um, for, from my personal point of, you know, not making a mistake, pretty much. Um, and yeah, but the derbies now, you know, I mean, the performance of the week was great, and 
Um, it just shows you how far City have come now where, you know, whether it's at the Etihad or at Old Trafford, we, we do expect to, to go there and win. Let's finish off this podcast by looking ahead now. Um, two away games, Aston Villa coming up on Wednesday, depending on, of course, when you're listening to this podcast, um, and then Watford away. Uh, then there's a trip to Leipzig, which is behind closed doors, and presumably City will play a fairly weakened team. And then we're into more games thick and fast. I'll come to Nicky to finish. Um, but first of all, Nick and, and uh, Harlan, going into those games... Actually, it might be best to start with Nick because you were a little bit more, I wouldn't say critical, but a, a little bit more cautious in terms of your praise for the West Ham performance. So do you look at those two games anxiously at all or do you just think automatically City will step up and win those two games? I think I look at every game anxiously, actually, when you put it like that. So maybe that's... Um... But I think, you know what, I will I will try and put my positive head on if it exists. And as I said, we've got a lot of players that are coming back into form and we've got players that I was critical of last year and before that, uh, Cancelo and Rodri, probably the two first players we'd, we'd put down now. Um, and they are looking fantastic, consistently fantastic. Um, and like I said, uh, Jesus, Sterling, Gundogan, Bernardo, I, I think... We've got, to, we've got obviously we've got to keep our head screwed on. You know we can't get too, too overwhelmed. But um, yeah, no, I, I do think it's in our hands. Importantly, it is in our hands, and that's that's all we can ask for, as a as a as a top flight club that we are now. And just before I move on to Harlan, just tell us how people who want to donate to the food bank can contact you. I mean, obviously they can bring stuff down on a weekend match day and find your little gazebo, which is at the end, of, near the, the bridge that links the two stadiums together, up near yeah. that Asda sort of end. But how else can they support you? Um, we're active on the three main social medias, Facebook, Insta and Twitter, literally at MCFC Food Bank. Um, and that's the best way to find out everything we're doing. And um, we'll keep everyone updated if and when we're doing collections. Um, I, like we said, every weekend home game for now until uh, we can expand. But uh, yeah, that's the main way. And uh, like I said, if anyone wants to speak to us, just come come down and have a chat. We're happy to do so. And that's what it's about. It's about the fans supporting each other. Solidarity, not charity. Well done. Fantastic efforts that you're putting in. Harlan, what about these next two games? Tough one, isn't it? The Villa one. Um, not tough because I don't think we can beat Villa. I think we can blow Villa away. Um, they've got a new manager. I think they've got a... They, you know, Gerard's a very good manager. I'm, I'm a, My Scottish team's Rangers, so so I admire everything he's done at Rangers. Thinks he's done a great job. And let's not forget as well, Gerard went there under pressure because I think I was watching I was watching Trevor actually on, on uh, TalkSport last week. Uh, and then I watched another video on YouTube as well and they were talking about how it was probably more pressurised there than it is at Villa because you were expected to win every single game at Rangers. Mm-hmm. I think there's still an expectation now and Gerard's basically created an expectation now with Villa fans because he's won his first two games. So the next time Villa lose, got to help him. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think that next game they lose will be on Wednesday um, and it'll be at the hands of us, of course. And we can easily pop four or five past Villa. You know, one mistake from them... You know, another Mings mistake, for example. I think we popped four past them last year, didn't we, when the, the old uh, was Rodri offside or onside debate happened. But it, it, they're a different side now. They've got a, a new lease of life, a, a new confidence. But I think we're more than good enough to beat them. Absolutely. Um, and think we will do. And then, like you said, the Leipzig game should be one of those now where I'd like to see um, 
I'd like to see a bit more of James McAtee uh, in that. I'd like to see a bit more... Um, I'd like to see a, a bit more of uh, Wilson Esband as well. Um, maybe Pep will bring a couple of them in now with us being qualified. He, he may bring a couple more in, a couple of top performers in the EDS side under under BBM. So it's uh, be interesting to see a couple of them. Cole Palmer again, you know, another Champions League night for him. Maybe maybe nick another goal against Leipzig would be good. Um, and then obviously it's Watford then, isn't it? So that'll be another tricky game. They've banged what four last week against United, two against a, another good side in Leicester. So they're proving they can score. But we look tight at the back. We look great in midfield, like Nick said. That that's the hub of everything at the moment. Um, and with Sterling back on form, Mara's our top scorer. Um, and like you say, Grealish and De Bruyne to come back. I think we've got absolutely nothing to fear. And uh, like I said, City are back with Bernardo ticking along because he is absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, the uh, the new David Silver for me. A big shout out again to CharlesLouis.co.uk, the Chartered Mortgage Advisors who sponsor the podcast. Thanks to very much to them. If you want to uh, buy a house, sell a house, commercially, privately, want some advice on mortgages, contact them. Go on the website, charleslouis.co.uk, and you'll see a phone number, and you can get in contact with them, and they will help you as much as they can. Um, Nikki, uh, we'll leave you to the end. Uh, you've played over the Christmas period. I think, I, forgive me if I'm wrong on this, seven or eight fixes in December, certainly a lot of them anyway. Obviously, Boxing Day and... Brentford away on the 29th and then Arsenal away on New Year's Day and all the midweek fixes. There's one blank midweek because City are out of the League Cup. But basically, it's, it's all systems go. What's that like as a player, Nicky? And how, what toll does it take on you? It's tough, the Christmas period. It's tough. Um, all your friends and all your mates and everything, they're all out enjoying themselves and you've got to be as strict as ever. Um, so it's a tough period. But listen, it, City, the, the best teams play every three days anyway, so it's not really any different for them. But a lot of things can happen over Christmas. I always used to think it was great if you could get, you know, because the games are tightly packed in, like I said, seven or eight in December. If you can come out of December, you know, City could be two, three, four points clear at the top of the league, um, you know, going in with the form they're showing now. Um, so, yeah, uh, so, yeah, I think it's great for the fans, the sort of bumper Christmas, Boxing Day games, New Year's Day games. I remember as a kid going to those games um, and it was just, you know, brilliant. Um, sort of days out uh, supporting your team really I suppose when you're uh, over, over over Christmas so yeah massive the festive period loads of games on TV so it's uh, so yeah hopefully City can come out the back end of December um, with a couple of them tough tough fixtures you uh, you said um, you know with a little bit of breathing space at the top of the league hopefully and is your instinct that uh, I'll ask you the Roy Keane uh, Jamie Carragher question. Do you feel of the three now that are sitting at the top of the Premier League that City are the favourites to go on and win it this season? I think so, yeah. Um, obviously, Liverpool and Chelsea are going to have something to say about it. Um, but it looks like those three are, are going to go on and, and sort of break away a little bit. Um, but for me, City have just got a better squad. Um, you know, Liverpool got some great players, but I mean, take Salah out of their team and you know, one or two others, it, it might be a little bit of a struggle for him. Um, Chelsea as well, obviously got some great players, um, got points at home today when they perhaps should have won. Um, so, yeah, I, I expect City to have a really good, you know, middle bit of the season, second half of the season and, uh, and end up winning another league. Well, it's the, the first Sunday in Advent, if you're religious. Um, if not, it's certainly the start of the Christmas period now. So let me be the first to wish you a happy Christmas, Nicky, and to yep. you, Nick, and From to me you, as Alan. Well. 
and uh, and to everybody who's yes, listening. Uh, Nikki, you've been a great guest. Really, really appreciate you giving up your time and coming on the podcast tonight. You're a top man. You're a city hero. You're a legend. And it's always lovely to speak to you. And see, we never talked about your celebration in 99. We talked about lots of other things. It's not just that that we want to talk to you about. <laughs> so thank yeah, you. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me and really enjoyed it. Uh, Nick, Cheers, Nick, good luck with the food bank stuff. Um, you're doing a great job. I know there's four of you that work really hard. Keep it up. It's fantastic. It was lovely to see Simon Mykowski from the Manchester Union News today, unsolicited, came up and handed over a bag of goodies for you, um, which, which was great as well. He's a good man, Simon. And thanks very much to Harlan um, for your unending contributions to uh, Forever Blue. And thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, I'll see you again next week. We've got Mark Lillis on the the podcast next week. Uh, so we'll talk about uh, whatever we're up to. Two more games till then. In the meantime, have a great week. And remember, it's always great to be a blue. <laughs>